Amen. Praise the Lord. Remain standing for prayer, if you would. Remain standing for prayer. And uh, praise the Lord. I'm looking forward to uh, this Friday night. Uh, part of the time I'll have to cut out a little bit early because I'm, I'm uh, participating in uh, a Zoom missions conference. Uh, but I'll, I'll be here at the start, and I'm looking forward to it. And let me just say this, yeah, both you know, for Sundays or any special activities we have or anything like that, if you... Uh, uh, if you look up right now, if you just look straight up from almost any anywhere in here, you're looking at $100,000. And I'm not talking the light bar, that's probably another 50. But you're not, that's not a spaceship, that is not a transponder, we're not going to transport you someplace without, well we are, we're going to transport you someplace today. But uh, really we have an eye on the air quality because we have an eye on your safety and uh, this, so, so just for your reference, uh, you're probably as safe in here as you are outside because we scrub the air in here. I forget how many times an hour the air in here gets scrubbed and where the kids are at in the auditorium. I mean, we upgraded the HVAC over there uh, before COVID even hit. And so, uh, so praise the Lord, we went ahead and put $100,000 into that, as well as, you know, light bar and other stuff. And you'll notice, so we did that last year, we didn't take up a special offering, because, you know, we, I'm just like, you know, why don't we just do it the Bible way and tell people to tithe, yeah. right? I mean, no Christian would be so stingy, they would not give God one dime out of every dollar. I mean, Abraham did that, right, to Melchizedek. Yeah, that was way before the law. So it's just that's just how God does it. And then we don't have to, you know, nickel and dime people all the time. And and we can get things taken care of. You know, and this January is starting slow. Okay, yeah, the first year always starts slow. Uh, but here, i got to give a brag. I ain't worried about that because here, here's the brag. You know, we had been doing 120 Zambia kids at $28 a month, and we bumped that up this year. We said, let's do 136 and, and prices go up $30 a month. And I think we've got 141 kids covered. Praise the Lord. So I'm just bragging in the Lord on you for that. So uh, praise the Lord. Go ahead and if you're near somebody, bump elbows with them. Let's get ready to pray. Um, as we pray, remember uh, praying for uh, Tom Wilkes, who is uh, still in the hospital with covid also, some of you know uh, Tarl Knightsey, that's Tim's brother, and he passed early this morning. Uh, so be praying for Gina and uh, Tim and the family, and let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come before you today thanking you, Lord, thanking you and your mercies, how you provided for us, how you made a way for us. Lord, how we can uh, come together on Sundays, we can assemble in your spirit, and we can be safe, and, and, and we can rejoice, and we can worship you. And so, Father, we just trust you with those things. Lord, give us, give, give all of us an open heart so that we'll have an open mouth about what you've done in our lives. Whether we do that through worship and praise, whether we do that through witnessing and our testimony about what you did with us, God, our goal is to get the gospel out so that more eternal souls come into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Help us to do that even today. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible, um, start with us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, you know, this, this is a bonus church. Really, this is a bonus church. 
This is a bonus church because you come here on Sunday, you get good gospel music. I mean, we got some gospel music today. And not only that, but, you know, like today, I'm going to give you a little bit of church history on the way to what we're going to look at with the Holy Spirit, because I got to connect you to what was happening then so you understand what Paul was saying. And, you know, think about it. I'll say think about it like this. The Bible tells us God spoke and bang, it came into existence. When the scientists look back at that, they say, well, that was a big bang. And, you know, that Big Bang, they will tell you, had a certain inflationary, expansionistic moment at the very beginning. And then it just kept going until it kind of got down to a settled state, how we see things today. And, all right, Acts chapter 2 through 4, that was the inflationary Big Bang for the Jewish Christians. Okay, I mean, all the only Christians there were were Jews at that time. And so Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, I mean, wow, that's the big bang. And God steps in, and God shows up, and God shows out, and the church gets started. But then, you know, by the time Acts 4, 5, 6, 7, Jewish leaders are rejecting the fact that Jesus is their Messiah. And so what had happened was uh, God begins to shift gears and change things. And so now James is killed. He allows him to kill James, the apostle, who kind of gets replaced with James, the Lord's brother. And uh, Peter gets, you know, Peter, who had gotten in prison, you know, uh, was taken out. But then that, but now Stephen, Stephen is murdered. All right. So, so then you go along in the history of the early church, which is the book of Acts. And I'll agree that the book of Acts does not end, but the process of development stops, and we go back to that because we continue on to today with how far that process got. Okay, now, think with me, let me transport you instead to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14. So you've got after after the book of Acts, you got the book of Romans, and it is the next most important thing you need. It is that so, that's why we're going alternating Holy Spirit and Romans. We're giving you that solid doctrinal foundation, the absolute standard, the essentials, the fundamental things. Book of Romans, but then after that, God takes us back in Corinthians and he kind of revisits something. And this time, it is the inflationary, expansionistic moment in the Gentile church. So we got Acts 2 through 4, Gentile Christians, or Jewish Christians, and now we're in 1 Corinthians, and what is God going to do for the Gentiles? How how is he going to make it different? What sort of things? We're taken back to see what sort of things are going on right here. And so we've been seeing such exhilarating things about the filling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and I knew I was going to take one Sunday to address something that's kind of cultural to Christianity, and, and, and when the church assembled there in Corinth, because it was that expansionistic, inflationary uh, Big Bang for Gentile Christianity, well, then somebody would get up to speak. You know, the church may have had, let's say they may have had one of the Gospels to read from, but Paul's epistles had not been written. The book of Acts, account of 
church history, the earliest church history had not been recorded. So maybe the person who stood up was an elder, and uh, from his time in the synagogue, he had trusted uh, Jesus, and he starts speaking from the Old Testament, but suddenly the Spirit would give him words to express God's mind about this new way and how they should now walk in it. And everyone left refreshed and edified and excited to share with others what the Spirit had spoken that Sunday at church. You know, another person might get up and start speaking a language not known to anybody present. Every tongue spoken on Pentecost had been the native language of some Jew who was actually listening. Isaiah 28 says that this was done as their sign. God had to give them a sign of judgment to come if they didn't follow him in this change that was being made. But now in Corinth, Holy Spirit went a step further took that sign and made it a sign to Gentiles as well as Jews. And he reverses the curse of Babel, and he had gifted people with an unlearned language, and now he's doing it in front of Gentiles, even when no one who could speak that language was present. So it was an unknown tongue, and it had to operate in tandem with someone similarly gifted to interpret. Because while the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. And God said, you know, you know how much is by grace? You know how gracious I am? You know how much my loving kindness is for you? I'm going to give, it, I'm going to give you wisdom exactly where I'm going to give you Jesus exactly where you're looking for it. And I'll give it to you in wisdom. And so now we come here in 1 Corinthians. Paul the Apostle is getting ready to correct the misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit, how he operates, and what he does. This epistle was not written to compliment uh, that church, but kind of to condemn it and to change their selfish practices and lack of understanding. And there were many things they were thinking they were doing that did not express the Holy Spirit's true function as a society in, in a society like ours today. So when he gets down to chapter 12, we saw Paul start a discussion of spiritual gifts. But the purpose Paul has in writing is to correct their carnalities, and that is why chapter 13 is so important. So after rebuking them in chapter 12, I want you to look at the last line. Go with me down to the last verse, chapter 12, verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And he spends all of chapter 13 defining that one way, which is even better than the exercise of spiritual gifts, because it is the way of love. So 1 Corinthians 13 is really talking about love between members of a local church. And what that means, and this is our thesis for today's study, is that you must always exercise your abilities and gifts with the motivation of love. In chapter 12, they exercise gifts for their own benefit. But now Paul says, I'm going to show you a better way through love. There is no commandment in the Bible to show off your skills, even show off your gifts, but plenty of commands to love each other. So because the teaching of chapter 13 is kind of parenthetical break, you could read chapter 14, verse 1. Do that right now with me. Read chapter 14, verse 1, immediately after 12, verse 31, 
Because this is a more excellent way. Watch verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. Why? Because preaching is the love language of God. And today I want us to examine seven parts of speech in the grammar of God's love language. And all of this so that we can be clear on the Holy Spirit's operation in us and through us this year with the gifts that he gives us today. So seven parts of speech in God's love language. First, number one, the verb of definition. Let's make sure we define the true language of love. Paul says in verse one, follow love in action. That's what charity is. Desire gifts of the spirit. But above all of that, prophesy. And prophecy is a gift everyone in this church should have. Because prophecy, according to this chapter, prophecy today is not primarily predictive. You know, back among Earth's earliest Christians, prophets ministered the word in new revelation because there was no Bible written yet. But the inspired word has now been inscripturated. It has been written. So this is our first point for study. Today, prophecy is ministered by preaching what we've received in the preserved word of God. Therefore, prophecy is explaining the present in light of the Bible. And the closest term we have for it today, I think, is anointed expository preaching. And it means witnessing and evangelism, giving people the gospel. That's preaching slash prophecy. It means, uh, well, you know, you're predicting for them what's going to be for them based on their decision whether they accept or not. It means unfolding the mind of God verse by verse and applying it to their daily struggles, both to your life and to others. And that, Paul says, is God's love language. So following the instruction to chase hard after love and the definition of giving priority to the language that love has, Paul gives us a section now in verses 2 to 21, outlining three things about displaying that distinctive. And to do this, he compares two different gifts in their relative value to the church. So here's how you walk in the Spirit. Here's how you experience His power. Paul says three things about prophetic preaching as God's love language by way of comparison to the gift of tongues. Three directions about prophetic preaching. First, letter A. Tongues do not edify others, but preaching does. Look at verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now the word Spirit's not capitalized here, if you have a King James Bible, because he's speaking in his own human spirit. And you'll notice the King James translators added the English word unknown, because it's in italics, so that you could get the distinction between what's happening here in Acts 14 and what happened in Acts chapter 2. And the difference between what's going on in Corinth and what went on in Acts chapter two, uh, to, chapters 2 to 4. And the difference between the God's grace to the Gentile churches and getting them started versus what he did with the Jewish believers at the very beginning. And so Acts 2 was an unlearned language understood by some of the hearers who were there. But tongues are for a sign. Verse 22 says that. And they are assigned to the Jews. Chapter 1, verse 22 says that. 
So because the New Testament church came out of the synagogue, they had many Jews reading and reciting their Torah scriptures without providing an interpretation. And therefore, it was an unknown tongue. I mean, at least that was to the general congregation. I mean, even today, many Jews are taught to read Hebrew and recite Hebrew without even knowing what the words say. So second, letter B, tongues do not benefit the hearer without an interpreter, but preaching does. So regarding the Acts gift of speaking in tongues as a sign to the Jews, Paul says in verse 5, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. It's fine to speak in tongues. As long as the Holy Spirit's prompting it. But if someone speaks in an unknown tongue, if that's Hebrew or something else, and prophesies or preaches from the Old Testament, then they need an interpreter. Otherwise, Paul says, you guys are just talking to your, among yourselves. Uh, so, so if anybody else wants to prophesy, preaching in Corinth, and it's unknown tongue to the hearers, someone else has to interpret Evidently, maybe the pastor in Corinth had gone to seminary. He learned a little Hebrew. And you know Corinthians, because they're so puffed up with knowledge, they're discoursing on what the original meant. And and Paul had to admonish them about the proper use of an unknown tongue in preaching. So Paul cautions the Jewish leaders in Christian churches not to put a limiting factor on Gentile growth. Don't just talk among yourselves. I mean, we do that even in Christianity today. We have so much jargon and so many acronyms and so many abbreviations. Okay, Paul says, look, let such a speaker pray that he may interpret. He may understand that he may understand the language so that he edifies himself and makes the unknown known to the rest of the congregation because, and this is letter C, while tongues do not instruct the body, preaching does. Verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? Because of the need to be established in the Old Testament, even without Hebrew hearers, if the Holy Spirit were using the Holy Spirit's gift of tongues, it had to have the accompanying gift of interpretation. So, if you can't find a native interpreter, like a Jew, or a supernatural interpreter as a sign to those Gentiles that the Word of God was actually coming to them, Then reserve your time and let someone who can edify the whole congregation take your spot. That is God's love language, and that is why love is the key to the language of the Spirit. That's why chapter 13 had to come before. So once we have the verb defined, then second, second, this is number two, we need the direct object of order. 
Paul's not writing to encourage them in what they were doing. He's writing to correct misuse. And so here's a church that was spiritual gifts capital of the ancient world, but they had problems with structure. Watch, verse 26. Let all things be done unto edifying. Verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So every church has to obey this rule. Verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. You know, Corinth was kind of carnality enthroned. Uh, Corinth was confusion incorporated. And that church was kind of like the rhythm section of the kindergarten class. You say, Alan, how bad was it? Well, it's kind of like trying to referee a middle school girls basketball game. Everybody sings when they want to sing, but nobody reads the score. I mean, you're not following the score, and yet you say you're spirit-led. And Okay, but the question is, which spirit is it? Verse 9, So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. I mean, that's not me saying that. That's Paul saying that. Paul says the grammar of love is going to rectify this. Because if it is the Holy Spirit speaking, it will be orderly. If if it's, you know, loud and disorganized, it may be emotional. And if it's emotional over the right inspirational things, that's fine. Uh, So it may be your spirit, but it might not be the Holy Spirit. And anyone can go on YouTube and watch all of the false prophet faith persuaders and see the type of satanic deception that Paul is warning you away from. So do not get thrown off because the third, the third part of speech is number three, is the adjective of priority. At the end of chapter 12, if you go flip back there for a second, end of chapter 12, Paul asks them in verse 30, have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now that's part of an ordered list beginning in verse 28. And the gift of tongues, even interpreted, is at the bottom. And all do not exercise that gift, just like all everyone did not have the gift of healing at that time. Prophecy, that's proclamation of God's word. So what you should desire is clarity of communicating God's word. Clarity to communicate the gospel. Now let me just say this. You are not spiritual... If you have not started preaching, I don't care what else you do or not, but if you haven't started preaching, you ain't spiritual. So let me just cast out this demon of dumbness today. Oh Lord, cast out the spirit of shame and loose our tongues today. Because verse 3 says, He that prophesieth speaketh unto men. Now watch, see this is why I say... Prophecy today is not primarily predictive, maybe only in the sense that you're telling somebody where they'll go if they reject Jesus. But primarily, here's the definition of what prophecy means, speaking unto men to edification, to exhortation, and to comfort. That is God's love language. So the priority of the Christian life is the declaration of the truth of God to as many people as are old enough to understand it. And too many people today use what they call the gift of tongues to give out a meaningless faith 
as Paul says, they're speaking into the air. Now, in the next epistle to this same church, you can either turn over there or turn on the back of your handout and see 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul has to say to them, look at what Paul says and compare that to what is typically said on, on the false prophet faith persuaders shows and, and, and services. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our troubles which came to us in Asia. And we were pressed out of measure, above strength, in so much that we despaired even of life. So this is our second point for study. Do not try to go backwards to the Acts chapter 2 beginning. Go forward in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 to faith and faithfulness. We sang today about God removing a mountain. But you know what? If God makes you bigger than the mountain, then it ain't, the mountain is removed. If God makes you bigger than the mountain, it ain't a mountain no more. So Paul says in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 14, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And that's kind of a mathematical ratio there. He says it would be better for me to preach a five-word sermon from the King James Bible than speak 10,000 words in tongues. So if the gift of tongues is emphasized, it is out of place and out of priority. Now, Lord knows, most of us have enough trouble with understanding English. And if you're not following God in the King James, I know you ain't following him through Kenneth Copeland. I'm just saying So the only priority is the clear communication of the word. Watch verse 39. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Why? Well, because first, if it's an unknown tongue, but you have someone who either understands Hebrew or if it's not that, someone who can supernaturally interpret for everybody, then they're blessed by it. Uh, Secondly, it's giving you new, special revelation from God because the Bible's not complete yet. Uh, The temple hasn't been destroyed yet. And that's why Paul told them back in the first chapter, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. And God takes this one gift of tongues and makes it do double duty in that inflationary, expansionistic moment at the Big Bang beginning of the church. So Paul tells them in Corinth, you need to use this gift to get special direct revelation in a way that confirms to God's ancient people that he is changing the rules on them. Temple sacrifices are going to go away. They've now got to come to God through the finished work of Christ. So there is a fourth part of speech related to God's love language. And that is the punctuation of purpose. Look at verse 21. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, Paul's people, the Jews. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not, whether whether Jew or Gentile. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. And that's that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. 
all the Jews from the dispersion who had come to that particular feast of Pentecost, coming, speaking languages from all over the Roman Empire, they heard in their native tongue the glorious message of Jesus, the good news that he was their Messiah and had finally come, that Jesus was not just Jesus, he's Jesus the Messiah, like we sang today, and, 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 and the proof was that he rose from the dead, and the good news was that he now qualifies as your Savior because his blood paid for your sins. But now the temple is no longer the house of God, the church is, and the sacrifice is no longer atoned for sins, but on the cross the finished work of Christ did, and salvation is now totally and freely by pure grace. Now later on, tongues had another purpose because that gift was used for edification during that time when the word of God was being originally given. We have our Bible complete today, but they didn't have a completed Bible in Corinth, so let me hit you with the definition. They needed edification, and to edify means to build you up in your faith. And anything which does not edify is not legitimate. Uh, Verse 4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. And spiritual gifts are for serving others, not serving you. You know, sometimes that's the problem when we sing. The problem when we sing is we're only singing for, you know, I'm only singing for me. Uh, yeah, and, I, and you need to understand, we do have an audience of one, that is God, but we are to edify everyone, not just the one. And so we sing to God together so that we can edify and build up one another. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren? Well, Paul says, I'll tell you how. I know exactly what you're doing. When you Corinthians come together, every one of you at the psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Paul kind of says, you know, I won't judge that, but I will judge this. Let all things be done unto edifying, because that is the proof. We are in the last days of the church. Most Christians are looking for spirituality only to benefit themselves. And you know what? That's okay when you first get saved. And that's okay when you're just a babe in Christ and you need to get discipled and you need to grow. But this is our third point for study. One one of the major mechanisms for growth is what you do in ministry to others. Get discipled so you can begin discipling. So if God does not see you using what he gave you to benefit somebody else, he's going to stop giving to you. Now, can I just tell you, that also applies to you financially. And that's why, you know, this year we gave you, a, gave you an extra Christmas gift. Uh, just the right now media subscription, but also Ramsey Plus, uh, which is, you know, uh, tied to uh, finances and how you should do your finances. And, uh, you know, this, uh, let me just say this, this is not the time for you to be stingy with God. Um, if, if you're, you know, and, and what? 10%? How insignificant is that? It's a flat tax. If you make a lot, it's still 10%. If you don't make much, it's still 10%. And so God is absolutely even-handed and fair. But, but, but you, think, you think God is going to keep giving and keep blessing and let you keep disobeying 
And sometimes that's the reason why we're in the financial messes we get in, because only blessed people can be a blessing. So if you're a spiritual disaster this morning, maybe it's because you're a selfish disaster. My name is Alan, and I'm your friend. You know, God can't use you as a living river, living water, if you are a stinking swamp. So the next part of speech in God's love language, and this is number five, is the adverb of procedure, verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Now, what is the procedure if there's no interpreter? Well, verse 28, if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. So mum's the word in the church because this is how Paul protects the true love language of God, which is preaching. And obviously there is always pushback to God's truth and letting the word of God do the work in your life. So the next part of speech, this number six, is the period, the full stop of pride. Verse 36, what? Came out the word of God out from you? Or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Paul knew that people would want to argue that point just like they do today. So he says, look, if anyone does not understand, if they don't understand this, let them be ignored. I mean, they don't, if they don't understand that they cannot just get up and speak without an interpreter, well, then don't call on them to speak. And you say you're a prophet, well, that's mighty proud of you. Then acknowledge, Paul says, that what I am writing, that Scripture is correct and obey it. Some people are being made feel to feel less spiritual by people who think they're more spiritual because they claim to have had an experience that they say we have not had. That is false revival. Because they are not using their experience to edify you, but to tell you how spiritual they are. So do not get caught up in the false prophecies of revival today. That is not what God's going to use to give us revival. And the primary reason that God is only giving revival very selectively today compared to times past, and this is our fourth point for study, is because you are only spiritual when you are applying Bible's principles in practice and letting the Word of God do the work in your life by His grace. You are spiritual when you're judging all things by God's Word and putting down the false teaching and the false teachers. Your spiritual life is strengthened when it has to put those false things down, even in the face of their opposition. So the stronger the opposition, the more mature your spirituality becomes. And pretty soon that, that mountain's cast into the sea because it just kept shrinking. You still, I mean, I don't know what it was. You thought it was shrinking. Really, you were growing. And now it's not a mountain anymore. Verse 14, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. But my understanding's unfruitful. I want to use my body in worship, but I also want to flip the switch of my mind. So how do we know our mind is engaged, edified, and active? By the final part of speech in God's love language, number seven, the sentence of permanence. And for that, need to have you flip back one chapter to 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul says in verse 8, charity 
never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall, they shall fail. Why? Because they'll be fulfilled. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Because right now we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away. So someday we won't need preaching because it'll all be fulfilled. But that's not true yet. And there comes a time, Paul says, when tongue speaking ceases. And that is when that which is perfect is come. Now, the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ, he's perfect. And the inscripturated written word of God, the Bible, it is perfect. And those are the only two perfect things that have ever been on this planet. And Paul did not know, would the Bible be completed first or would Jesus return first? And that's why he words this ambiguous. That's why it's so confusing the way he words this. Ambiguously. We now have a Bible. We now know which came first. And that which is perfect is here. And if not, then every time somebody speaks in tongues or gives a new word of knowledge not already found in the Bible, you need a loose-leaf Bible so that you can insert it in the back right after the book of Concordance. So, tongues were legitimate for the immature church because a baby needs a miracle every day. I mean, a baby needs a mama to swoop down with a spoon and put Gerber's between its gums. And he needs someone to change his poopy pants because he's immature. But if you are 21 years old, you still need mama to wipe your bottom. We got a problem up in here. When you grow up, you don't need miraculous signs. Provisions outside of the power God gives you in the Holy Spirit. You don't need that like you did when you were a babe. So, verse 20, brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Don't be a baby. Be serious. Let maturity set in. And if you look on the back of your handout at Acts chapter 14, because you need to understand this word from the book of Acts, because Acts 14 supersedes... Acts chapter 2 to 4. Acts 14 verse 21. And when they, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Not miracles. Tribulation. And this is our final point for study. When maturity sets in, you don't need miraculous signs because you have learned the responsibility of giving faith responses to all of those hard things in your life. And when you get to know Christ for who he is, you can go through the trial not having to have a supernatural rescue and your faith still survives. And when you get closer to Christ and you remove the obstruction and the sin and the ungodliness and you look into his face, that day he comes for us. You're going to say, you know, Jesus was all I needed. I mean, I'm so satisfied just to have him. Jesus is sweet enough 
And since Jesus is my sufficiency, I will remain faithful. But when you don't put Jesus at the center, your circumference is a mess. And we don't put Christ, uh, you know, as your focus and the word of God as your focus, then your periphery is, is a mess. And you go from one church to another church looking for that cathartic experience that you had before. And you go from one conference to another conference and one program to another program and one experience to another experience. But when you see Jesus, he is your conference center. He is your experience and he solves your problem because he is your hope. Not just that you hope in him. He is your hope. Look for love and learn the language of love, which is preaching. That way, the Holy Spirit can give us revival. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I have to ask you today, Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you trusted him for everlasting life? I mean, eternal life is what he promises in return for your faith in his finished work. It is all by grace, and you can only access it by faith in Jesus. Faith to believe him today for exactly what he promises, which is everlasting life. Everything else in the world out there is so confusing. Each cult group has to have its own gimmick and it's so confusing. So many other churches that call themselves Christian churches say, well, yeah, but, okay, yeah, you know, you need to believe. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but then you got to be baptized, and 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 maybe it even has to be by us, and then you you know you got to do this and this and this, and then there's still all this long list of things. I mean, even the Reformed, even the Calvinists are saying that. Well, if you don't do this and that and this and that, you can't really know you're saved. Now Jesus promises you eternal life for simply a look at Him on the a look, just a look will save you. Because when you pray and trust Jesus, God puts you in Christ. He puts the Holy Spirit in you and you are born again. That's what being born again means. That's what being a Christian means. So today I'm going to ask you, whether you're here or you're online, just pray, just pray and say, Jesus, I trust you today for eternal life. I repent. I repent of the direction I've been going in because I want to be converted. I want to turn around. I want to turn away from where I have been going. And I want to follow Jesus today. I believe. So God, make me born again in Jesus' name. I call on Jesus today as my Savior. And if you pray that today, then come meet me or one of our altar counselors here at the front while we sing our closing song or, or immediately after it's over or if you're online, then write to us, email, let us, let us know. I want to give you a copy of a book that I've written on the next steps in the Christian life. Go ahead and stand and if you're next to somebody, just bump elbows with them. Next Sunday is our Lord's Supper Sunday. 
And, uh, you know, some things that don't take place in here and, you know, with everything else out of our control, we press paused on. So we're not going to do the uh, pastor's luncheon uh, next Sunday. It was a very uh, kind of smaller venue. And so we will we'll press pause on that. We'll do that the next time we have uh, Lord's Supper, Lord willing. Uh, but what, you know, we'd like you here next Sunday and in, invite somebody to come with you so they don't miss out on what the Holy Spirit can say to them. Tonight we're going to do a discovery of Psalm 119. We'll continue in that. And at the same moment, the kids have their Bible club called Awana. Father, I thank you today. I thank you that whenever we approach the Word of God, Lord, each Sunday, it can be something different. It is, it's exactly what we need to keep us going. And Lord, sometimes we just need that, that emotional time that'll draw us close to you and let us leave on such a cloud that everybody else can see. Other times we need, we need a teaching time. Other times we need something that takes us really deep and we've got to understand doctrine. And Lord, some weeks you just mix all of that together for us. And even all that, Lord, it's not just for our own benefit, not just for our own growth. It is so we can be used to get the gospel to those who are lost. It's so we can be used to disciple those who are already saved. It's so we can be used. And Lord, as you use us, we know that when people are getting saved, that is the sign that you're giving us revival. Lord, give us that today. Make us the ones who have the faith in the word. And watch you, just watch you do the work. For we ask it today in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.